Good morning, Chair City Church. We are kicking off our At The Movie series the month of November. It's going to be a ton of fun. And what we do is we, we look back in the year, last several months, and we select movies that have you know, gained popularity. And, and we look into that movie, because almost every movie is going to have a theme that speaks to the human condition, where we're at in our life. And then we go to the Bible and see, well, what does the Scripture say? What truth that, kind of, that we can tie together to, to speak to that theme in the movie. Uh, you know, what does scripture say to it? How can we relate to it from a, from a, you know, from a spiritual perspective? Now, in this, uh, now in my home, there, there, you know, we, we gel well in my home. Unity is a big deal. If you're around us, we get a lot done uh, as a family. The one of the things we find most difficult is when it comes to selecting a movie. Like, you know, to get everybody on the same page, it's like, oh, no, we, my kids don't even want to do it anymore. It's like 45 minutes to even get to one. Uh, we've seen it already. Uh, that's not good. It's corny. or oh, it's got bad stuff in it, whatever it is. But this one movie, we were all on the same page. We all liked it. It was pretty good. Now, in this movie, Aladdin, you're going to see people and the, the characters, if you will, and they're, they're trapped in this, like, false identity. Every single one of them, right? Meaning they haven't found, they've not come across their true identity. They're not living from that identity. Now, we could go through every character we see this in, but we're going to kind of hold to Aladdin today. I'm going to speak to the condition of what's happening with him. Now, there's a part of the movie uh, that grabbed my attention. Actually, I, I noticed it when I saw it, but it... it, it and, and, it, and it gripped me, but I didn't kind of, you know, connect it until I actually had, had prepared a sermon. Then I was driving, and it hit me why that scene connected, and I did another sermon. <laughs> and when I saw this part of the movie, it really resonated in me. So why don't we just show the clip of Aladdin being... So there's Aladdin, right? And he's a poor street kid. And next year, you know, he's transformed into the person and possessions of Prince Ali, right? Now, this is where I, I kind of related to Aladdin. You see the genie's going through the crowd and in a bombastic way, and he's speaking to the greatness of Prince Ali, all that he has, all that he is, all that he's accomplished. But Prince Ali isn't really there. I mean, it, there's no, it's a facade, right? It's not who Aladdin is. But Prince Ali only exists because Aladdin didn't think he was enough in his own eyes. That's why we have Prince Ali. So I related because me, like Aladdin, spent a lot of time and thinking who I am, what I am, it's just not enough. I thought in order to attain the love in order to be worthy of people's acceptance, I needed to be someone else other than the person I was. So growing up a good chunk of life, I spent a lot of time and energy trying to project particular images or an image of someone that I wasn't. 
someone I thought people would look up to, would regard, would respect, would be drawn to. They'd want to be around. They'd want to say, yeah, I know Dave. Being myself was just insufficient. It wasn't enough to gain any of that. There's a scene where Aladdin tells the genie, what if they find out I'm not really a prince? What if Jasmine finds out the princess? I'll be nothing to her. That's a fear that I, I live with. If people knew me, they would not like me. They would not want to be around me. The problem was, in doing all of that and living out my life that way, I lost who I was. I had taken on an identity to please everyone, to gain, you know, their acceptance, to, to give them what I thought they needed to, to value me and to, and to have me around that I lost my identity. I, I, I never even got to discover my identity in that process. So Aladdin, his story, as much as he tries to sing and jump around and prance, look, I'm cool, I got it together, everything's okay. You know, you need to eat, so you need to steal. And I'm great at both. I'm great at eating, I'm great at stealing. So I don't need anyone I could take care of myself. But deep down, as you see throughout the movie, he, he wants to be accepted. He, he has this sense that he's less than others and he's insufficient. He wants to be valued. He wants to be loved. And he thinks in order to do that, he must be Prince Ali. Now, maybe you know what that's like to be trapped in a false identity. Maybe you've never really thought about that before. And today's the day where you want to pause and just slow it down in that cranium of yours and saying, wow, am I doing this? Is this a good chunk of who I am and how I live and navigate life, trying to put out an image or project to people, trying to be something that, you know, not so much that I'm not, but more so to, to just deflect from what I think I am, which is not enough. You can, we could even bring personality in here, but that's a whole long conversation. You know, your, your personality is not really who you are. It's what you've created to protect who you are from people. So we take on this identity, right? Today I want us to look at the Bible about what it says in regards to identity. There's a term in the Bible. It's in Christ. That's the term, in Christ. It's used 140 times in, in the New Testament, and it describes someone who has faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible does not say you're a Christian. It says you're in Christ, right? It's saying here is your identity. It's not a label. It's an identity. Christian is a label. In Christ is an identity. So what are the elements, the parts? What does it look like to be in Christ? Well, St. Peter, the Apostle Peter, gives us just a good glimpse of that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. We're going to read from that right now. He writes, but you are chosen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So a part of your identity in Christ is you're accepted. 
You are accepted. You are. The verse says you are a chosen people. You know, some of your deepest wounds come from rejection. And I've said this before, of all the pains that are derived from our emotions, the one closest to physical pain is the pain of rejection. And when that rejection comes from friends or family, relationship, school, occupation, right? What happens is it sends us spiraling, and we wind up spending a lot of time going forward chasing that acceptance that eluded us. And we do it in different ways. And it influences so much of our lives. And we do crazy things to get accepted, right? I've got this whole list. I remember jumping out of a plane that was 3,300 feet in the air, going at 150 miles an hour plus, and I jumped out. I mean, I had a parachute, but still, it's crazy, right? Just to, like, be somebody, just to, be, you know... You have something like, you know, to control the conversation. Oh, well, yeah, I got a new car. Yeah, I jumped out of a plane. Top that, right? I graduated from, actually, I jumped out of a plane, right? But the things we do to, to gain that acceptance, or the, the way we'll dress. My God, in the 70s, it just, I mean, it just kept going to the 80s, but look at that. Look at that. That's Lloyd in the 70s. It's my father-in-law. Look at, his, look at that swaggy pants that he's wearing. Look at the hair. I thought it was a toupee. My mother-in-law corrected me. She said it was a the comb over hair. But look at Lloyd trying to fit in in the 70s with them pants. How about the hairdos? You know? Oh, come on. Look at that. Whoop. Whomp. The way we dress, the way we wear hair, our leisure, all that we do just to kind of be accepted. We try to get accepted because the pain of not being chosen runs deep, huh? Today, I want you to know that you are accepted because you are chosen by God. This is the beginning of knowing your identity in Jesus Christ. You are chosen by God. He chose you. The next element of your identity in Christ is you are valuable. Verse 9 says, Peter writes, you are a part of a holy nation, God's special possession. So being accepted is meaningful. Life-changing, being valued is even better in my book. Both are wonderful. Both are in God's design for us. By saying you're part of a holy nation, it means you're set apart. You're special. You know, it's, it's like, the, it's like the, the holy Bible, right? It's not just some book. It's not any book. I was texting a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, with a person that Chris and I had helped out years ago. She was about 15 years old when she came into our lives. She was uh, through, the, through the foster system, wound up with a foster family, and we came alongside of her. She's about 33 years old now. So she contacts us and said, hey, you know what? I've started to go to church again. Probably at about 16 or 17, she stopped going to church. Many years have passed. She goes, I'm going again, and you know what? And, and I'm going to get baptized soon, and we were just celebrating. It's wonderful. So I asked her, hey, do you have a Bible? She said, yeah, I have the one that Christy and you gave me when I was 15 years old. She held on to it. I mean, to all the, having nothing to do with God, apart from God, all these years. I mean, we're talking a teenager, college years, right? Who wears this, wears that? I mean, and yet she still got the Bible. Why? Because it's a holy Bible. You just don't throw it out. It's a special possession, yes? It's valuable. God says you are holy people. And because of that, you're special. 
You're his special possession. Come on now. He chose you and you are his special possession. This I'm speaking to who you are. Not what you think you are. Not what's been put on you. Not what you've contrived. This is who you are in Christ. Not because what's happened in your home. Not because what's happened in your job. Not because of your past. But who you are in Christ. God says, you are my possession and you are valuable. In the, uh, in the time of World War II, when Adolf Hitler was reigning and the Germans and Nazis, a better way of putting it, were inflicting the horrific and the atrocities on people, very commonly Jewish people, but all people as well. Uh, there was a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Every two or three years I'll share this. It's just so meaningful, and it applies here. And, and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a, a Christian minister. Uh, many of the Christian ministers fled the area to go to other parts of Europe, or just actually to get out. Some came to, a lot came to America. Uh, Bonhoeffer did as well, until all this craziness kind of settled in, and things got normal again and safe. But then he said, he writes, you know what? I realize, if I will have no part of the sufferings of the Jews, Jewish people and of people there in Germany and in Europe, then I'll have no part of what God, the great thing God's going to do in his restoration and glorifying himself either. So he goes back to Germany, begins to minister to people of all walks, proclaiming the gospel. The, the Nazis arrest him and put him into the prison camps, right there in the, in the concentration camps. They say, when I say they... The, the, the Nazis, those who were German and not Nazis, the Jewish people, uh, American soldiers, speak of this Dietrich Bonhoeffer. They say his courage was astounding. That like his strength was amazing. The way he walked around caring and speaking to people, putting himself aside. They say that even the Nazi warders would apologize to him when they would lock him up, you know, at the end of the day. We, we get a glimpse into this how, the, how he gained their respect in that just, I don't know, several years ago, 5, 10, 12, years, more than that, about 10 years ago, Time Magazine published letters from cell block 52, I think it was. It was Bonhoeffer's letters to his fiancée, which no one knew he had. And the Nazis, they, they, they sneaked out these letters to get to his fiancée. That's what this man commanded. A couple of days before the war ends, they killed Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Nazis. Before they kill him, he had a lot of writings, but he had one last writing, and it was in a poem. He writes a poem, and it's called, Who Am I? I'm going to read it to you. It says, Who am I? They often tell me I would step from my cell's confinement calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country house. Who am I? They often tell me I will talk to my warden, those who are in prison to me, freely and friendly and clearly as though they were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I would bear, bear the days of misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly like one accustomed to win. Am I then really all that which other men tell of me? Or am I only, or am I only what I know of myself? Restless, and longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness or neighborliness, trembling with anger at despotisms and petty humiliation, 
tossing in expectation of great events, powerfully trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I, this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once, a hypocrite before others, fleeing in disorder? And before myself, a hypocrite before others, and before myself, a contemptibly woebegone weakling? Or is something within me still beating like an army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. That last part there changed my life at a critical time in my ministry early on. He's saying, you know what? All I, all I know is this. I belong to God. I don't know who I am. It's so mucked up. It's so crazy. People are being slaughtered and killed. My family's missing. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know if I'm going to live. I'm going to die. I see God doing great things and then I want to cry. I, I don't know. Am I a coward? Am I courageous? I don't know. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? I don't know who's my enemy and who's my friend. All I know is this. I belong to God. I am thine. Yes? The true story, ma'am. Second Corinthians, First Corinthians, chapter seven, verse twenty-three, says, "You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings." You want to pause and take that in. You belong to God. Jesus gave His life for you. You do not need to be slaves of the perceptions of other people. You not. You do not need to be a slave of what you think other people want to hear and see and need you to be. You don't need to be a slave to that. You just need to live out your life in Christ. That's your identity. Jesus Christ purchased that for you. you. Your identity is in Christ. You are accepted. You are valued. And you are loved. Verse 10 says, once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You see, God's provision of mercy is an extension of his love to us. To you and me. It's a love that you don't have to earn. It's a love that you've done nothing to, to, uh, to achieve, right? You don't have to perform for it. You don't have to prove that you're worthy of it. I spent much of my life always trying to prove that I was worthy, prove myself. We do that. We, we, we come from this place or places, and, and we have this way of thinking, you know, that we, we have to prove ourselves to be worthy of another's affection. We have to prove ourselves to be worthy of true love, huh? Let's watch the clip. I can't believe... What? I can't believe we did that. That I did that. That, that we're alive. See? Thank you. And thank you for getting me out of there. Aladdin, isn't it? Uh, you're welcome. I'm... I'm Dahlia. You should tell the princess to get out more. People haven't seen her in years. They won't let her. Ever since my... the queen was killed, the sultan's been afraid, so she's kept locked away. My mother taught me that song. Mine too. Just sometimes I feel like I'm... Trapped. Like you can't escape what you were born into. Yeah, I'm trapped. You know, you, you can't escape. They're speaking about something in there that's going on inside of them. Like they have this sense of who they should be, 
of the, the identity that they are, but there's another identity that, that has them trapped. They're, they're speaking to things of the past, and yet they're living out from those things, and they're creating these false identities. Some may be the princess. We're not talking about her. It's kind of an external thing. It's on her. But Aladdin, it's coming for, more from within him, right? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Listen, it says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Jesus is not ashamed of you. Why are you ashamed of you? Why, are, why could you be carrying any shame from any seemingly dysfunction or fragmentation of anything you came from? And that is fueling you establishing this identity which is not what God's called you to. And you're trapped in this false identity. Because maybe there's this underlying shame. And yet Jesus, the Bible says right now here that Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. It says Jesus and the ones he's made holy. He made you holy. You didn't make yourself holy. You can't make yourself holy. He's made you holy. God has called you and chosen you to be holy. It's not what you've done or will do. It's who he is and what Jesus has done. And you've got to believe that. Aladdin was ashamed of who he was, his past, his circumstances. It caused him to create this false identity. God's love is not based on you, but on him. Remember, because of God's love, because of who he is, you are accepted, you are valued, you are loved, and you are forgiven. And now we're going to go to this last part of our identity in Christ. This last element, and it's a powerful one. That is, you are capable. I just want that to resonate in you. No matter where you are this morning, your life, your relationships, your health, you are capable. Verse 9, Peter writes, you are a royal priesthood. You're a priest. You are a priest. Now, some of you say, Dave, you're freaking me out. Stop that. Call me anything, but don't call me a priest, right? What did a priest do in the times of Peter's day when he was writing this? Well, a priest would, you know, represent man to God, meaning they would, uh, on behalf of men and women, priests would go before God to gain forgiveness of the people, right? For the sake of blessings, for the sake of guidance and communications. What Peter is saying is, hey, 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 that's what the priest did for people. He's saying, you're a priest, you're a royal priest, you have access to God. It's a powerful word what he's saying here. People are reading this like, what? You have access to God. You can talk to God. You can go before him and confess sins. You can go before him and, and request comfort. You can go before him and express thanksgiving. You can talk to your God, the one God, the true God. You are totally capable of this. All the things we say we can't do are insufficient. We don't think we can do, but we can do this. And this is the most powerful thing of anything that we could do. This is the one thing that there's not a creature in the universe that can do this but us. We are capable of doing this. Now, a priest also showed the people who God was. Yeah. You are capable of telling and sharing and displaying to people who God is. You are capable of this. It's a glorious thing. 
You know, something really happened, something interesting happened in my home yesterday, and it, it got my attention, clearly. I think at first it intrigued me, and this morning I was thinking about it. I just started, I started laughing about it, and uh, really to get to the point, one of my kids yesterday had the cops called on them. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding you. It's not, a, it's not like there's a funny ending. Literally, one of my kids had the police called on him, right? And <coughs> I, I guess I kind of think it's funny. I'll explain myself. I think I will. I don't know. But now in fairness to all my children, you know, I probably should just tell you the one that had the cops called on him so I don't incriminate the other ones. So it was my oldest son, Justin, who's 19 years old, that had the cops called on him. And he right now is heading up kids' church, so that should be comforting to all you parents who have... <laughs> Your kids in kids' church, right? <laughs> and so, Chris and I, we're returning home from, uh, you know, it's God to have it. We're just coming right up the driveway from going to see uh, our daughter's basketball tournament. We're coming into the garage. Justin is walking out, and uh, he's heading towards his car. And I'm like, hey, what's up? How you doing? I was like, yeah, where you going? He's like, well, I'm, I'm going to go and, uh, you know, I just want to go and talk to our neighbor. I just want to go and apologize to him. I'm like, okay. I'm like, you want to just run it by me quick? What's up? He's like, well, yeah. Uh, he called the cops on me. They came to the house. It was kind of a little bit of a thing, and now I'm going over there. So my kids know. They know me. Just get right to it, man. You know? I said, oh, okay. I said, oh, well, just unwrap it for me. So he said, hey, you know, I was driving up the road, and I seen a man in the middle of the road, and, you know, he had a big leaf blowing. He had a big pile of leaves. The pile of leaves were in, like, my lane. So I kind of slowed down, and I just, you know, I went around him, and I went into the other lane and went around him, and I just kept going. Well, I guess in his perspective, I was trying to run him down. <laughs> so he called up the police, and he said, hey, you know, this guy tried to run me down and run me over. And so the police showed up at the house, and, you know, they spoke to, I think they spoke to uh, my, my uh, mother-in-law and him. And uh, so, yeah, I thought about it, and now I'm going to go over there and talk to him, and I'm going I'm to just apologize and, uh, you know, for, what, for what, you know, what he perceives I did and maybe what I could have did better and did differently. So, so I'm like, you know what? Okay, that, that sounds, so far, so good. I'm like, that sounds pretty good. I said, Bill, I wouldn't drive over there with your car since the guy, this is, that's the car he thinks tried to run him over. I would, I would why don't you take my car? <laughs> and, and, you know, he said, you know what, actually, since you put it that way, I'll walk. So he walks, you know, he walks to the guy's house down the road. And they had actually had a very good conversation. He came back, you know, because I was, I was standing at the bottom of the driveway waiting for him to come back, uh, you know, and... Um, you know, uh, so, you know, uh, yeah, he does, he, he shows back up and he says, hey, we had a really good conversation. We did talk for a while and it went very well. So, listen, running the man, uh, the man thinking that he's going to get run down by Justin was not a good representation of God, right? But going to the man and expressing concern for him and apologizing to him for any harm or disruption this was a good representation of who God is, yes? This was a good representation of somebody living out from an identity in Christ, right? You see, Justin, his identity, you know, is in Christ. And he knows that he's capable of showing kindness. He knows that. I, I can show kindness to this man because I'm in Christ. Okay, I know I got someone I consider to be somewhat of a, maybe a not entirely accurate view of this, but that, that's my view. Maybe my view is wrong. Maybe he does have the better view. I mean, I think about it. I had a crick in my neck. I was trying to, like, stretch my neck. Uh, you know, maybe. I know it was my intention. I know I, was trying to, I thought I was trying to be careful. But either way, I'm going to think about him before myself, huh? You see, 
Justin, Justin's identity is not the man and what he perceives him to be or what he says. Justin's identity is not his father and what he has to gain or not gain in his father's eyes. Justin's identity is not the Westminster Police Department, although they have his identity now. Justin's identity is Jesus Christ, yeah? Yeah. See, if we lived in Winchester, they probably would never call the cops because they'd be thinking, oh, we don't want the cops to come. We've got enough going on in our lives, right? When in Westminster, people have it together more, so they call the cops, I guess, right? All right. So, I know. I get on with I hadn't gotten on Winchester in a long time, right? I've, I've been leaving them alone. So, I hope that came out okay. Look, here is the truth. You got a lot coming at you in your life with a false identity, with an identity that is not of God, it just makes it that much harder. It really does. It makes these things that are hard to carry even heavier to carry, to deal with it all. This is the truth. You are capable to deal with it all and more because your identity is in Jesus Christ. Whatever this world throws at you, whatever is coming at you, say to yourself today, I am accepted, I am valued, I am loved, I am forgiven, and I am capable of navigating and dealing with these things in life in a way that glorifies God because I'm in Christ. Studies show that when you experience this thing called rejection, the earlier on you experience, the deeper it goes and the longer it lasts and the more it affects you in life, right? And, and, it, and it's more likely, it's like a curse, and it's more likely to create a false identity in you or cause you to create a false identity. What do you, what do, you do? What do you do when this false identity is on you and it's dogging you? Let's watch the clip. All right. Last wish. Let's get it. Okay. Last wish. Jeannie? I'm ready. Hold on. Here we go. I wish third and final wish I wish to set you free what whoa Get me some jams. Get it yourself? <laughs> Get your own jams! <laughs> thank you. No. Thank you, Jenny. I owe you everything. Yeah. You see, in that moment, Aladdin decided who he thought he needed to be wasn't worth it anymore. That false identity that was trapping him, it wasn't all that it cut out to be. And he realized that there was something so much greater going on in him, inside of him, and that was so worthy of him. And that's really what he wanted all along. So in his last wish where he could have anything, what does he do? He thinks of another <laughs> you see, the old false identity traps you into thinking more of yourself than others. It does. Listen, listen. But now, 
Aladdin thinks of another, right? And true to his new identity, he sets the genie free. And, and, and after that, by the way, it keeps going. If you watch the movie, he, he says goodbye to the princess, the dad, and everybody, and he leaves. He leaves the castle, and he walks out of it. He just walks down into town now, which is his new identity and his monkey and nothing else. But he's whole, man, and, he, and he's new. And he's ready to just kind of like, he's got a whole different look and view of this world, and he's, he's ready to take it on because he's got the right identity. You hear what I'm saying? He doesn't need what anyone else has. He's not overwhelmed with what people think and what he has to do. The first step to knowing your true identity is to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To know that you really are a spiritual being. I'd imagine most of you, if not all of you, when you watched that scene, kind of felt pretty good about it, right? You weren't like, oh, that's terrible. He should have left him in the bottle. No, no. Is that where you'd be thinking? In that place? No, you, you feel good about what happened. Why? Why? Why do you feel good? Why does something in you resonate? That, that little, you're not only thinking, but you might even have a warm, good feeling, a positive thing come across you when you see that. Why? I mean, you only came from matter. Right? I'm being sarcastic. If that's what you believe, that you, there is no God and you just came from matter, then why would you, where does that come from? Where does that conscience come from? Where, where, where does that feeling come from? It's because you are spiritual. And such things resonate in you. You were, cre you were created for that. But that's just the tip of it. And when you live out in your new identity, when you live out your identity in Christ, it's so powerful. You see things so much more clearly. You absorb things so much better in such a healthy way. You love in a healthy way. Live out your identity. So you came here today and, and you didn't know Jesus. But Jesus is calling you today to step out, to come and to live in Christ, to live in Christ, to live in Jesus, knowing that you're accepted, you're valued, you're loved, you're forgiven, and knowing that you're capable you're capable. There's so much more to you than you realize. That thing that sparked in you when you saw that scene of one person giving up all that he could for another person. No other creature in the universe can do that except you. There's so much to you. There's so much greater to you as you live out your identity in Christ, which just harnesses all that spirituality in you. So you take that step today and you decide, I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to come into a close, intimate, trusting relationship with Jesus. If you've been kicking this Christian thing around a long time, and you've been carrying this old identity, this false identity, because what you think people want to hear, and what you think they want to see, or because what you think who you are because of what's gone on and where you came from, you can't come from more deprivation than I did. Really, I came from just, as I said over and over, the depths of poverty. You're just poor. I'm not saying there wasn't any love. And my grandfather doted on me because they had nothing, so I was so much to him. I remember he used, he went out and what money he had, he went out and bought a blanket for me. It's, you know, a wool blanket. I still have it. I still have the wool blanket. Saved it all these years. But we were so poor and there was so much deprivation. Uncle's a heroin addict living there, assaulting people in the house. Crazy time. But... That's not my identity. That's not what I run from. That's not what I try and explain. That's not what I'm ashamed of. No. 
And that's not what makes me want to be a better person that I overcame that. No, because I didn't. If it was up to me, I'd, be, I'd have just lived out from that. But by God's mercy and his love and his grace, I have a new identity, right? That's for you today. As a believer, you're not a Christian. Don't say, I know I'm a Christian because I say I'm a Christian. Today, be committed to living out your life in Christ. Know you're accepted. Know you're valued. Know you are loved. Know you are capable to God be the glory.